morning, all. Hope everyone had a uh, great Thanksgiving. You know, there's a couple things I was thinking about with Thanksgiving. You know, we set aside a day to give thanks. Just seems like, you know, after hearing that 10,000 reasons, that limiting it to one day just seems a little weird. You know, and I was also thinking as we move from Thanksgiving, we've got Christmas coming before us, and how quickly. And easily it is to get caught up in the rush and the busyness of Christmas. You know, 10,000 reasons. It's not a number. It's not coming up with just 10,000 things. It's just to get our minds thinking bigger than what we limit them to. And so I'd encourage us as we go through next few weeks as we prepare our hearts for Christmas, that we don't get caught up in the busyness of what the world would have us believe Christmas is, but that we take time each and every day, moment by moment, to remember why we are celebrating. And I pray, I pray that time we get to Christmas and we're celebrating the birth of our Lord and Savior, that we've got far more than 10,000 reasons. Let's pray. Oh, Lord God, we thank you. We uh, thank you for who you are. We thank you that you are the great I am. We thank you that uh, you are beyond even our understanding. But, Lord, we know that you love us. As we talked about this morning already through communion and the sacrifice on the cross, there is no greater example of love. And, Lord, Coming on the heels of Thanksgiving, that is something for us to be thankful for. Now, Lord, I pray that uh, we don't lose that spirit of thankfulness. And, Lord, as we move into these weeks preparing for Christmas to celebrate the birth of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, that our hearts do not drift away, our hearts do not become hardened to what the true meaning of this season is. And Lord, as we spend time reflecting on you, fixing our eyes on you, that we find more than those 10,000 reasons, that we understand you and we love you more and more each and every day. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, as Pastor Ken said, we do have a lot of ground to cover. So if you have his word, and I hope you do, go ahead and flip open to Hebrews chapter 3. And while you're turning there, I'm just going to recap where we are. So last week, Pastor Ken told us about Moses. And if you remember, Moses was a rather big deal to the Israelites. See, he was seen as their deliverer. He delivered Israel out of slavery. He was their lawgiver. God had given him the law up on the mountain. You know, but he was their leader, and everything that they did came through him. But we also learned that despite all of that, despite how important the Israelites thought Moses to be, he was still ultimately just a servant of God. See, we also learned that we have a high priest. And he is far superior to Moses because Jesus Christ is the son of God. 
And we talked about the need and the importance to keep our eyes fixed on him. But we also learned that that takes concentration. And it takes effort. It's an act of willpower. It's not something that we just instinctively do. You know, because we've talked about the previous weeks about drifting away. And as Chuck had uh, read Psalm 95, that's where we find ourselves in the text here. So follow along as I begin reading in verse 7 of Hebrews chapter 3, because this is the warning about that drifting away, the hardening of the heart. Verse 7. So as the Holy Spirit says, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts, as you did in the rebellion during your time of testing in the wilderness, where your ancestors tested and tried me. Though for 40 years they saw what I did, that is why I was angry with that generation. I said their hearts are always going astray, and they have not known my ways. So I declared on oath in my anger, they shall never enter my rest. See to it, brothers and sisters, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. This is God's word. Let's pray. Oh, God, we thank you for uh, the reading of your word. We thank you for the truth that it speaks into our hearts. And uh, Lord, the warning of a hardened heart. Lord, I pray that you will open our eyes to see, our ears to hear, our mind to understand, and our spirit to apply it, Lord. Lord, be with us now as we dive into your word. In Jesus' name, amen. So this section begins, so as the Holy Spirit says. You know, I I love that, you know, because I think as Christians... I don't know if anybody's guilty of this. I was once upon a time. As Christians, we tend to get focused on about, oh, that much of the Bible. You know, we get focused on the New Testament, the good news. You know, and there's even some who just get focused in on those words in red because they're the words of Jesus. And we forget that this is the whole counsel of God, that every word in it is from God. And here we have, so as the Holy Spirit says. The Holy Spirit is speaking through David. That's who was writing this psalm. And it just lets us know that God, from the beginning of time, was speaking to his people. And that's why in 2 Timothy 3.16, Paul writes, all scripture is God-breathed. So as we study God's word, especially in chapters like this, where we see Old and New Testament, it's important for us to remember that this whole book has been breathed out by God. So when we sit and we read about hardened hearts, unbelief, and missing out on God's promises, even though it's Old Testament, we know that it is a word for us today. Now David's writing about the Exodus. Now, we've talked about the Exodus before, but the Exodus was what happened when Moses came down to set his people free. There was a series of plagues, if you remember. You know, there was locusts and a lot of stuff leading up to the death of the firstborn, where God struck down the firstborn of every person and animal and finally said, go, get away from me. So Moses and the Israelites 
start heading out, beginning a journey to Canaan. Because God had promised that he would give them a promised land for them to be in. So they start out their journey through the wilderness. Now, the people had just seen God at work. They had seen vast miracles, and they had just heard from God about this promise of the promised land, and it was all fresh in their minds. For us, we're reading about something that happened thousands of years ago, but for them, this just happened. So what do you think happened as they're out wandering in the desert, heading towards the promised land? You know, as we talked about before, it doesn't take long for things to go south, for them to start to drift. They stop trusting God somewhere along the way, and they harden their hearts. And to be honest, it didn't take a whole lot of time. We've got a book in the Bible, the second book, actually, Exodus, which details that journey And we get to chapter 16. And one day the Israelites are going along. And, you know, they're a few days out and they realize, I'm hungry. And instead of trusting the God and keeping their eyes fixed on the God who had just done miracle after miracle after miracle to free them, they go, are we there yet? I'm hungry. And they ask Moses rather tell Moses, it'd been better if we had stayed back there in Egypt than be out here in the wilderness where we would die of hunger. So Moses goes to God. He tells God about the problem, which he already knew anyway, but because he's God. God, while angry at his people, provides for their needs. He sends down manna, which if you remember, these little bread-like wafers that appeared in the dew of the morn. And he sent down quail, little birds, for them to eat. He took care of their needs. So they're hungry, they're fed, they're no longer hungry, so off they go, starting their journey again. You know, they're taken care of. And how long do you think it took before they started drifting away again? One chapter. Yep, one chapter. We come to Exodus chapter 17, where... The people, once again, during their march to the promised land, realize, I'm thirsty now. And instead of trusting the God who had just sent down food that morning, mind you, because manna kept coming the whole time they were out there, you know, instead of trusting the God who provided their needs, they come to Moses and say, you know what, it had been better if we had stayed in Egypt than hang out out here and die of thirst. So Moses goes to God, and he's like, these people. And God creates water out of a rock. And on and on we go throughout Exodus, and really on and on we go throughout the whole counsel of God, drifting away, people asking Moses to allow them to return to Egypt saying it's better if we had stayed where we were than to go where you would have us go. Even though Egypt wasn't good for them, it's all they knew. And how often do we do what isn't good for us because it's what we know? So on and on we go, the Israelites testing God, taking their eyes off of God, no longer staying fixed on God, but allowing 
the little things of hunger and thirst and distraction to come between them and God. And their lack of trust and obedience angered God. And he expressed his anger on that entire generation. The word says for 40 years. That's how long the people wandered in the desert. 40 years. Because God said not a single one of you is going to enter the promised land. And that included Moses. Because they refused to repent. To turn away from their lack of trust. And fix their eyes back to God. They had hardened their hearts to God. You know, we do the same thing in our own lives. Anybody here admit that they have trouble trusting God and everything? I know I can. You know, and how often in that lack of trust do we return to our sin? You know, there's a proverb, Proverb 26, 11, it says a dog returns to its vomit. Now, what it's saying here, vomit is sin. And it's a dog returning to it. I don't know how many dog owners we got. Okay, so some of you are going to know where this is going. So I have a dog. Her name's Carmen, great dog lover. You know, I'm sure all of you love your dogs, but occasionally dogs get into things that they shouldn't. You know, whether it be a trash can, yeah, I've already got to, amen. You know, whether it be a trash can or my dog, a candy dish. A couple Christmases ago, thought the dog was going to die. Ate a whole bowl of chocolate. Um, why it's still alive, I don't know, but I love her. Um, but anyway, what happens when the dog gets into something that they shouldn't, it disagrees with their belly. And dogs just start making this retching noise, and out it comes. And as disgusting as that sounds, the reason it says as a dog returns to its vomit is because what a dog will do next. For those of you, oh, I already hear the gagging, you know what's happening. <laughs> a dog comes back to its vomit and doesn't look at it and go, wow, I wonder when my human is coming to clean that up. No, instead it takes that upon itself. It eats it. And that's disgusting. Yeah, people have seen it. I know. They eat their own vomit. You know, and as disgusting as that sounds to us, how often do we eat our own vomit? How often do we return to our sin and eat it again and again and again. See, we need to understand what sin is. Sin is a power. It's a force. And it's not a good one. It's one that seeks to destroy us and to separate us from God. It's anything that keeps us from being focused on him. And man, do we have someone who loves it when we're living in our sin. 1 Peter 5.8 says, Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. So think about it. Just as we seek to return to our sin and keep eating it, when we have our heads down in sin and our eyes off of Jesus, 
Satan is coming around looking to eat us while we're eating what's distracting us from God. See, sin's a power that we must resist with Christ. You can't do it on your own. You have to keep your eyes fixed on Jesus. Or our hearts become hardened. And when our hearts become hardened, it becomes easier and easier and easier to sin. That's why all of 26.11 says a dog returns to its vomit, so fools repeat their folly. I don't know who's ever heard the expression, those who do not learn from their mistakes are doomed to repeat them. A fool keeps coming back and back and back, regardless of whether it's good for them, because it's what they know. They've taken their eyes off of Jesus and say, you know what, I want to go back to Egypt, because I know that. But that's not what we're called to do. That is not what Christ came to give us. So we're talking about hardened hearts. What's a hardened heart? Well, a hardened heart is one that is cold and sensitive, unfeeling, and cut off from God. Now, some of you will be sitting there saying, that's not me. And some of you are right. Some of you will be saying, I don't have a hardened heart. So before we so easily dismiss this, I went through scripture, and I found some examples of hardened hearts. And I just want you to take a moment as I read through these and ask yourself, have I been guilty of that? Have you ever found yourself wanting to spend less and less time in the fellowship of believers? Or maybe you found yourself increasingly negative about other people or things. You don't feel heartbroken about non-believers and you don't feel the need to share the gospel with them. You find yourself increasingly angry or short-tempered towards people or events that you, for whatever reason. Or how about you find it hard to forgive other people? You try to hide your sin from others. You've become so afraid of what others think of you more so than what God thinks of you. You find out no matter what, no matter how hard you work, no matter how hard you try, that you can't seem to find joy anymore. You can't seem to find peace and rest anymore. Because you see, ultimately, a hardened heart's what keeps us from truly experiencing the rest that God promises to provide us. You see, God says that when we harden our hearts, they become like hearts of stone. And stones are cold, unyielding things. So how do we fix hardened hearts? Well, quite simply, we keep our eyes fixed on Jesus. You see, when we keep our eyes fixed on Jesus and remember him as Lord 
and Savior. We're promised that he will remove our heart of stone and replace it with a heart of flesh. Ezekiel 36 says, For I will take you out of the nations. I will gather you from all the countries and bring you back into your own land. I will sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your impurities and from all of your idols. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit into you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. It's a promise of God. Now those I statements, the I will cleanse you, I will remove from you, I will give, it's not the writer of Exodus, it's God speaking. It's God who does these things. God cleanses us from impurities. He did that on the cross. He cleanses us from our idols when we stay fixed on him. He gives us that new heart. He gives us the Holy Spirit. He puts his spirit into us. Now, some of you may be saying, you know, that's Old Testament. What's that have to do with Jesus? Well, flip over to the gospel according to John chapter 3. We're not going to look at all of it. Some of you may be familiar of it. See, one day there was a leader of the Jewish nation, a Pharisee named Nicodemus. And Nicodemus had heard about Jesus and went to him one day and said, you know, Rabbi, we know you are a teacher of God. And then he asks him, what do I have to do to be saved? And Jesus actually quotes out of this passage. He tells him, very truly I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and the spirit. See, he pointed, to Nicodemus, he pointed Nicodemus back to this chapter, and as a guy who had memorized the entire Old Testament, you know, he should have picked it up. But Jesus himself pulled from this passage. And that's another reason why we need to remember that this whole book is the counsel of God. And when we do that, the Holy Spirit moves into our lives to convict us when we're drifting away when we've taken our eyes off of Jesus and the Holy Spirit prompts us to repent, to turn away from. And when we turn away from something, we're turning towards something new. When we've taken our eyes off the vomit, we can put our eyes on Jesus. So how do we fight against a hardened heart? You know what? That's the good news of our readings in Hebrews. Flip over one chapter. We're actually going to go into four here. Hebrews chapter four. And I'm going to pick up in verse six. Therefore, since it still remains for some to enter that rest, and since those who formerly had the good news proclaimed to them did not go in because of their disobedience, God again set a certain day, calling it today. This he did when a long time later he spoke through David as in the passage, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. 
For if Joshua had... For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken later about another day. For Therefore it remains that a Sabbath rest for the people of God, for anyone who enters God's rest, also rests from their works just as God did from his. Let us therefore make every effort to enter that rest so that no one will perish by following their example. So there's some points I want to... For us to look at that we find in Hebrews, how God sustains us to live this out. See, God sustains us through his word as he tells us to hear his voice. Today, if you hear his voice. His word is what gives us the ability to combat spiritual warfare to keep ourselves from turning a hardened heart towards him. That's why in Ephesians chapter 6, some of you may be familiar, that passage about the armor of God. You know, you go through and you get the helmet of salvation, the shield of faith, the breastplate of righteousness, the belt of truth, but we're only given one offensive weapon, and that is a sword. The sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. It's the only offensive weapon that we get to fight against sin and the devil. And before you think that this isn't enough, think about when Jesus began his earthly ministry. When Jesus began his ministry, he had gone out into the wilderness and had fasted for 40 days and 40 nights. Dude was hungry. Israelites didn't make it a few days out of Egypt before they were moaning. And what happens? Satan comes. And Satan says, Hey, you're hungry. Why don't you turn these stones into bread? And Jesus didn't get into some long, drawn-out, philosophical, theological debate with him. He just said, Man does not live on bread alone, but on the very word of God. And Satan tries again. He actually quotes scripture. Didn't know Satan knows scripture. He was around, you know, when all of it was written. So he knows it. And he tells him, you know, go cast yourself off. You know, this mountain. You know, the angels will lift you up. It says it right in his word. Now, Jesus knew that he misapplied scripture and comes back. You know, time and time again, Three times, Satan comes at Jesus, and Jesus just responds with the word of God. So why do we think we need to do anything different? We need to know this. Psalm 119.11 says, I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. We need to hide this word in our heart. It needs to permeate our heart and our souls. It needs to go from here to here so it can go here. And that's why Second Timothy says, All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for good work. So when God's work, his word, has gone from here to here, and has transformed this from that heart of stone to a heart of flesh, then we can go out and do the good works. So God equips us to do good works. 
that glorify him. Not you, not me, him. And when we do that, when we draw close to God, as we live out the great commandment found in Matthew 26, to love the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind, this is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. We have to first love and know God. Love the Lord your God. You have to know him here and here so you can go out and love your neighbor this way. His half-brother James puts it this way. We actually talked about it this morning. What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such a faith save them? Suppose a brother or a sister is without clothes or daily food. If one of you says, go in peace, keep warm and well-fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if not accompanied by action, is dead. I love the way the ESV translates it. Faith without works is dead. Now, that's not saying we're saved by our works. Don't get confused here. Going and doing a bunch of good things, regardless of who it's for, isn't going to be what saves you. It is saying faith without works is dead. Faith has to come first. We have to love God before we love people. Or else we're just doing it on our own. And that is not going to gain us salvation. Salvation comes through faith alone, by grace alone so that we can be equipped for every good works. It's Ephesians 2. Now God sustains us through fellowship with one another. Because you see, whether you realize it or not, we are not expected to go through this journey alone. Throughout the Bible, time and time again, we see that we are to be together. Matter of fact, a few chapters from now, we'll get there sometime. Hebrews 10 says, let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another. Now, if you remember that little list that we talked about, we talked about the gathering. You know, if you fail to gather together, that's a sign of a hardened heart. You know, but we who are here have a responsibility too. It says, spur one another on toward love and good deeds. So if we know of someone who isn't here, for whatever reason, we are to spur them on in love and encourage them not to give up on the meeting together, but to be part of the fellowship and to lift each other up and come alongside of each other. It's why Proverbs 27, 17 says, As iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another. We are not to do it alone. We are to come alongside each other and help support and build each other up. And we're also to be open and honest with each other when we're struggling, when we have things going on. James, a couple chapters later in 5.16 says, Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. 
The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. When we try to keep things hidden, when we don't bring them out to the light, we are such easy targets to be picked off. If there is no one walking beside you in a problem, you're alone. And that's not what we just read in Hebrews. You know, not giving up meeting together, spurring each other on toward love and good deeds. But ultimately, all of this is only possible when we love. That's why Jesus says in John 13, a new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. We can't be open and honest without love. We can't be wondering if someone's going to use it against us. We've got to live out that iron sharpens iron and come at it from the same mindset as Jesus. And if you ever wondered how much Jesus Christ loved you, you don't have to look any further than that. Jesus loved you to the point of death. He took your sin upon him, and he died for it so that we can be forgiven before the Father. But he also rose from the grave so that we could have that new spirit, receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, and experience that eternal life now, that rest that he promises now. See, when we trust God's promises, we are promised rest. And the text talks about two types of rest. And as Christians, we're all familiar with the one that one day, those of us who believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, and he is our Lord and Savior, that we will one day be with him for eternity in heaven. That is God's promise. But we are also promised rest from current troubles. That's why it talks about Joshua and the Israelites. See, Joshua got to enter the promised land. They eventually found rest. They found rest from their 40 years of wandering. They found rest from conflict after conflict after conflict. They found rest from having to wonder where food was going to come from. God gave them his rest. Now, unfortunately, it didn't take a whole lot longer for the people to take their eyes off of Jesus or off of God and focus on their vomit. We see that time and time and time and time and time again, you know, which eventually leads to the exile and then hundreds of years of silence from God until the day comes where his son Jesus comes into this world. And there's an important word throughout all of this today. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. See, the Holy Spirit's telling us and warning us to seek God's voice fresh each and every day. Today, not tomorrow. Don't wait for tomorrow. You're not promised tomorrow. None of us are. And don't spend time worrying about yesterday. 
Don't sit there and say, God, look what I did. Look what I've done. How can you love me? Because you know what? Last couple thousand years, people have done far worse. And he still went up on the cross and died for him. Never think your sin is too great for God. God's grace is bigger than anything you can ever do. If you turn to him, fix your eyes on him, repent and follow him. So don't wait for tomorrow. Don't live in the past. Seek God each and every day. Be in his word daily. Write his word on your heart. Pray without ceasing. Join in the fellowship of believers. And that doesn't just mean Sunday. It doesn't mean Wednesday at group night. It means Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, repeat. That's what it means to be in fellowship with one another. Not just an hour here or an hour there, but at 10 o'clock at night, if something's going on in your life and you're feeling that you may drift away, that you pick up the phone and call someone, be in fellowship with each other. Confess to each other. But then repent. Turn away from the vomit and fix your eyes on Jesus Christ the only one who can promise to take that heart of stone and transform it into a heart of flesh, turn to Jesus. And when we turn to Jesus and fix our eyes on him, we can embrace that rest. We can embrace the freedom that comes from the bondage of slavery to sin. We can through faith in Christ, be set free from being slaves to sin and turn to him. We can live a life of faith that glorifies God and we can rest in the knowledge that one day, because of his promise, God is faithful to those that are faithful and one day we can rest with him for eternity. Let's pray. Oh God, we thank you. We thank you so much. Lord, we know that there are times that uh, we have drifted away. We know that we have turned to things that we shouldn't. We know that we've turned back and back and back again to them because we have taken our eyes off of you. But Lord, we, we thank you. We thank you that your love, your grace is so much bigger than all of that. And Lord... When we turn away and we fix our eyes on you, that we can rest knowing that we are forgiven, that you love us, and that love is just so glorious. Lord, we thank you. We thank you for loving us to the point of death on a cross, for taking our sin upon us, to bearing the wrath that we should have endured. Lord, thank you. Thank you for your great love. I pray that as we
go about our day, our weeks, our months, that we don't lose sight of that, that we keep our eyes fixed on you, that we seek the fellowship of other believers, that we have real relationship, that we don't try to hide, that we don't keep ourselves hidden from the light, but just open ourselves up to your great love. In Christ's name, amen. You know, friends, I don't know what everybody's situation is. Maybe there's some here who haven't ever turned to Jesus, have never known of God's grace and love for them. If that's you, if you've never placed your faith in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, I invite you to come up front. I'd be happy to talk to you about what it means to follow Jesus. Or maybe some of you have been here some of that fellowship. I want to be part of it. You know, if that's you, if you want to come and be part of this mission that we're on, to make disciples, more and better disciples, I'd invite you to come. Learn what it means to be a member of this church. Or if you have something that's just been going on that you need to talk about and be prayed over, you know, come. Let's all rise and sing our praises to the Lord.